Well, good morning. It's good to see you. As you've kind of gathered, you've heard the word promises repeated many times this morning already. So that's going to be our topic. And why are promises so important? I mean, how are you lawyers and politicians? And I think that's as being least uh, trustworthy. And that's unfortunate because probably a lot of the scandals that often you hear in the news. But, you know, one of the things that um, if I was to be asked for pearl of wisdom, and, and oftentimes I sit down with young folks and, and, and uh, I talk to them and give them counsel, I think the most successful thing you could ever want to build into your life is to keep your promises, to be dependable, reliable. Because when you keep your promises, it develops trust. And it's wise for all. Because God knows promises. God keeps his promises. And so with the help of God, who is a great promise keeper, I will be able to keep the promise that I made that day. There's a great book that's written by K. Arthur. It's called Our Covenant God. And if you wanted to read something more about covenants and about our God being a covenant God, it's one I would recommend. Kay Arthur is a, a great, uh, well-known Bible teacher, and, and she's an author. And she says that uh, everything God does is based on his covenant. On the book cover, it says here, The Bible reveals the covenant bond to be the highest personal relationship possible. In ancient times, covenants were solemn, binding agreements, supremely honored above all others. Making a covenant represented an unqualified total commitment of one person to another, unconditionally, totally, eternally. Hearing that and understanding the, the importance and greatness of God's covenants, if we could ever appreciate the truth that God is all about covenants, we would be so much more freer and more secure in our lives. And a definition in, a, in uh, the dictionary defines covenant as, as a binding agreement made by two or more persons. Okay, a covenant is, is a binding agreement made by two or more persons or parties. And, and I just shared, in marriage, they're called wedding vows. In business, covenants are made, they're called contracts. And when nations negotiate through diplomacy, they call their covenants uh, treaties. And in the Old Testament, God being a God of covenant, we can see many examples of covenants. And, and if you look through the Bible, the first one that we will actually come across as a covenant is the one that God made with Noah. And if you recall the story, uh, God was angry at all mankind for the evilness, and he, he created a great flood that wiped out all humanity except for Noah and his immediate family. And as they were safely brought to, to, to land after, after the flood, he promised, God promised and covenant with Noah that he would not do that again. That he would uh, spare mankind in the future and wouldn't have a flood. And that symbol of the covenant that he made uh, with Noah is represented by a rainbow, right? So whenever you see a rainbow, it's a reminder of God that he, he made this covenant and promised to Noah that he wouldn't wipe out mankind again through a flood. 
And during our study of of Exodus, as we're looking at the life of Moses, God made a covenant with him, too. And it's known as the Mosaic Covenant. And it's bound in the Ten Commandments, where God says, I will be your God as the God of the Israelites if you hold and obey my Ten Commandments. Now, if we look closely at the Mosaic Covenant, the one that God made with Moses, it's actually kind of a progression from a previous covenant that God made with one of the, uh, with the greatest patriarch of the Israelites, uh, is Abraham. And that's the person I really want us to look at, at the covenant that God made with, with Abraham as our, our way of looking at how God is a promise keeper and how we can trust in him, him as our God. So if you have Bibles, I want us to turn to Genesis 15, and here we'll find the covenant that God made with Abraham. Starting with verse 1, it says, After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. Uh, here, Abraham is first known as Abra- Abram, and then later, God changes his name to Abraham. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him aside, or took him outside and said, Look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. So I'm going to stop there. And from these verses, we can gather immediately that when God makes promises, you can trust him. Because here, Abraham said he trusted God. He, he says in verse 7, or actually verse 6, Abram's, it says Abram believed the Lord and he, he is referring to God, credited to him as righteousness. Now, if you recall, um, a promise that God had made to Abraham was given to him earlier in Genesis 12. And verses one and three, one to three in verse in chapter twelve of Genesis, God said to Abraham, "I leave your country, your people, your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you." So prior to making this covenant. Abraham already had this promise of God that he would bless him. To bless him, then he would then in turn be a blessing to others. That his descendants, according to Genesis uh, 15, would be so numerous. And, And one of the hard things that Abraham had to do was that he had to leave his his homeland. He had to leave his father's um, household from Ur, and then he had to go to, to the land that God promised him, was Canaan. And that's a, that was a big sacrifice. That was a big risky thing for, for Abraham to do, to leave security and go to something that's unknown. But Abraham was obedient, and so he, he obeyed God. 
And in the process of obedience, God blessed them because Abraham became a very wealthy man. He accumulated a lot of cattle, a lot of possessions. His family grew. But he, he, in his obedience, took the risk, and God blessed him. So in that way, he already had certain evidence that God was trustworthy, that if he obeyed whatever God told him to do, he would uh, be fine. And he encountered certain skirmishes, some conflicts, and God protected him. So God had already demonstrated that he would be trustworthy. And here, according to Scripture, it says that Abraham believed God and then his righteousness was credited to him for his belief. But even though he did trust him, uh, there was something that still hadn't come to fruition. Remember uh, in, in the Genesis 12 promise, he said, I will make you a blessing to all the other nations. And here he mentioned something about, you know, your, your descendants are going to possess this land and you're going to be more numerous. Well, there was a problem because Abraham, at this particular time in the story, he's about in his 90s and he doesn't have an heir. Right? The text is telling us he doesn't have an heir. He doesn't have a natural heir. He doesn't have a son and he's in his 90s. And I don't know how many 90-year-olds are going to have kids. It's almost not something that's going to happen very common. But God had made this promise to him. And, 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 and Abraham, even though God's been trustworthy, he's having some doubts. And he's bringing these doubts to God. Um, but even so, Abraham says... I will trust you because later we'll find out that he does get a son. Now, in my life, I've always, I've always trusted God because God has always been someone who's been faithful to me. And, and I think it's important to realize, you know, God doesn't always speak to us through miracles. That the, the big things in life, uh, he, it may, may not be always obvious there that he speaks to us. I think it's important as we go through life to recognize God more in the small things. That it becomes a practice that each day we look and appreciate the little things that God does for us. Because if we're always dependent on these big things, and God does pull through in the big things, sometimes it's better to, to go through life with an appreciation for the little things God does. So for me, you know, just waking up in the morning and being able to get out of bed and, and know that I'm alive is a blessing to realize that God is faithful in that. Or there is, when I open a refrigerator, there's food there that, that I don't have to go hungry for that day. And, and driving from work to home, that I safely get home, and that God gets the credit for watching over me as I travel. If but that kind of attitude and that kind of trust in that God will always watch over us on a daily basis, because we know that God doesn't always speak in thunder and lightning. He always speaks more often in a quiet voice in the small daily things that we do. But of course, if we don't have those times where God is trustworthy and, and fulfills his promises in those crisis moments, you know, in the big things, then sometimes we, we don't appreciate how trustworthy God is. And in my life, I know he's, he's come through in, in times where 
I, I've uh, needed his help. Uh, for those of us who, who are our parents, right? Parenting your kids is, is a major responsibility. And uh, for all of you who know, uh, know us, uh, we, I have two, two children. They're pretty much adults now. They've uh, finished their, their undergraduate uh, careers and graduated. And so I, I'm glad for that. But it, it wasn't too far, along, uh, far away that, that uh, uh, my daughter um, decided she wanted to quit high school. And uh, so when it was her second year in high school, she said, uh, I, I don't want to go anymore. And as a parent, that's, you know, I remember at that time, that was like a bomb that, that blew up. And, you know, you, you're thinking, why, why, why do that? Uh, it, it just kind of rocks the boat. And, and being as supportive parents, we, we walked through that season uh, with our daughter. And, you know, history shows that, that everything f- turned out fine. She and, and her brother graduated from the greatest public university in the world. <laughs> <laughs> um, but at the time, there were two verses, uh, two scripture verses that were very important to me. And they were the promises of God, where from Proverbs 3, verse 5, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Because during that time, I couldn't understand why my child would do that to drop out of high school, essentially. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. And so as time has proven, uh, God has made my path straight again. And in the midst of that kind of uh, turmoil, that kind of chaos, you know, the stress of raising children, and I'm sure a lot of you are going through certain issues with your own children. There's a, a scripture verse that was very encouraging, one that God promises from Isaiah 54, verse 13. God says, all your sons and daughters will be taught by the Lord, and great will be your children's peace. Your children will be taught by the Lord. So the whole responsibility is not solely yours, but God is alongside you and will teach, teach your children. And what better promise is that? That a God who, prom- who is a promise keeper, one who does not break his promises, says, I will teach your children. And just as I made my vow um, in marriage with the help of God, they will help me keep my promises. The same promises that you take when we dedicate our children before the Lord, that we will raise them. That God stands there behind you and says, I will help you keep your promise. So times like that remind me how I can trust God in tough circumstances. And back to Abraham, Abraham trusted and trusted God. And, and, and the scripture says here, he did have his doubts. So in Genesis 15, as we continue on in the scripture verses, he needs assurance. Abram said, O sovereign Lord, in verse 8, how can I know that I will gain possession of the land that you have, have told me that I will have? So the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Probably he didn't cut the birds in half because they're too small to do that. Um, Then the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. 
Now, as the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated 400 years. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. Here's a prophecy, actually a foretelling, of when the nation of Israel is in, enslaved in Egypt for 400-something years. And he's, God is telling Abraham, this is what's going to happen to, to your descendants. They're going to be slaves in Egypt. But as we know, God essentially sent the plagues, punished, punished the, uh, Egypt, the Egyptians and the Pharaoh. And they were released, and they, re, they came out of Egypt with Moses, and they came out with great, great possessions. Continuing in verse 15, you, however, will go to, to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. Uh, right there, it talks about um, these four generations and that the Amorites, their judgment hasn't been uh, come to fruition yet. It's a little bit of a telling of God's mercy. The Amorites were very wicked people. Um, they did child sacrifices. There was prostitution in the temples. And so God was slow to anger with them. They were the ones who were living in the land of Canaan. And so God allowed it for about four generations. And, and then he was going to, to uh, reap his judgment upon them. And that's going to come down later. Because uh, this is something that uh, Abraham legit, had legitimate concern with. Because if he's going to go into the land of Canaan, which wasn't his, it's occupied by the Amorites, he's going to have to face these, these vicious and evil people. But God said he was going to take care of them down the line. Now here, Abraham is, is, is giving... Uh, his concern, his doubt about this land that God's supposed to give to him. And he said, can I have proof? Can you uh, prove to me that I'm going to have, uh, have this land? And so God asks, essentially, uh, Abraham to perform this um, covenant uh, ceremony. He, he sacrifices these animals. He tears them apart and puts them into two parts and then he walks, uh, usually in a ceremony and making a covenant, the people are making the covenant walk between the sacrificed objects. And, and, and they're making this, this pledge that uh, if they ever break the covenant, that, the, that they would be split apart just like the animals were split apart. O. Palmer Robertson, who's a Bible scholar and a theolog theologian, he says this about the kind of covenants that God makes. Makes. He says, a covenant is a bond in blood or a bond of life and death sovereignly administered. So covenants are very sacred. They're very special. Godly covenants are bound in blood. Common in that culture was when people made contracts, they would slit their palms or their fingers and they would clasp so that blood would pass from one individual to another so that they would now become one. And so that was what we call blood pledge, a blood covenant. And that was well known in that culture. So God was using that same kind of um, knowledge that the people were engaged in and, and had Abraham do that exactly right now, is that something, uh, some animal, some creature 
had to spill blood. And so the animals were sacrificed for that and blood was spilled so that the, the bond or that covenant they were going to make was going to be held together by that, by that blood sacrifice. And, and the reason God um, did this, makes these covenants, is because he, he truly loves us. You know, this is an, you know, this is amazing. You know, a lot of times we, we make agreements between people, right? Between human beings, between uh, men, women. But here we have God who's a, a superior being, different level than, than man. And he comes down to the level of, of, of men and says, I will make an agreement with you. I mean, that's, that's mind-boggling. It's, it's, all, it's just an amazing thing that someone so much superior is willing to go into a binding contract with someone who is fallible, not perfect, makes mistakes, selfish, greedy, fearful. But God does that. And the reason he does that is because he loves us so deeply. He loves us unconditionally. And, and this thing about un- unconditional love, I know a lot of times we hear this, and, and I know in, in marriage counseling, you, know, you, you talk to spouses and uh, potential spouses, and uh, you, you tell them that you know, the kind of love that you can express in a marriage is unconditional love. It's not this 50-50 kind of thing. It's almost 100% of yourself you're going to give to the other person. And that's the attitude that's going to help you survive and make your marriage work. Because there will be conflict. There will be problems. But this concept of unconditional love, unless we actually experience it for ourselves, it's something that's not very easy to do. Um, And to understand that God has an unconditional love for us, sometimes... A lot of us don't understand that because we haven't experienced it in our own human relationships. Uh, our, our staff is reading a book called The Emotionally Healthy Church. And in it, it, it encourages us, and there's actually a couple of chapters about it, to look at our family histories. Because how we were loved by our parents, by our siblings, by uh, other members of our family, uh, those who are around us, if we don't receive in those relationships a form of unconditional love, we have issues. There's a lot of emotional baggage. And, uh, and I'm not even talking about abuse or, or, or that kind of an extreme, but if we don't ex- experience that, then sometimes we won't understand this unconditional love that we have, with, that, that God would have for us. Now, I, in my life, I've been fortunate uh, that my parents probably were different than typical Asian parents that they, they really had no expectations for me. They never pushed me. Uh, they, I, I really appreciate, I really love my parents because they loved me, truly. And they expressed it physically, verbally, um, in, in many different way, forms. And, and one of the things that, that, that helped me to unconditionally love others and to have a better understanding of what it feels like, it was one... Um, experience that I had with my parents, and particularly my dad. Uh, I, this was back in college. I didn't tell my parents that I was riding, riding motorcycles. 
And uh, I know if I said that, I would be dead. You know, and, uh, that was a no-no. Because it is pretty dangerous. And then, unfortunately, I got into an accident. And uh, here I am pre-dent. My hands are very important. I had an accident. I split my elbow. There's actually, there's actually a scar here uh, where my, my flesh was split to the bone. Uh, my hands were uh, raw because I, I, I hit the asphalt and, and, and it scraped all the skin off of my hands. And, and so this happened up in Sacramento and, and on the drive back home, uh, my friends were driving me back. My, I had my arms, my arms in a, in a sling, uh, hands are wrapped in, uh, wrapped up. And all I'm thinking about, and I'm in pain, but all I'm thinking about, I said, my dad's going to kill me. I'm going to be dead because I, I, I didn't tell him I was riding, riding motorcycles and I said, he's going to kill me. And so it was about like, by the time I got home, it was about midnight or something like that. And, and my parents obviously the, the, are up and they're waiting. And uh, my dad comes to me and he looks at me and he says, I'm glad you're okay. And then he, he turned around and, and, and he went back to sleep. And so... All the things, the horrible things I could imagine that he could have swore at me, he could have hit me. I, I, you know, I was guilty. He could do whatever he wanted. But he simply said, I'm glad you're okay. And for me, that expressed to me the unconditional love that my parents had, my mom and my dad, for not chewing me out. And, you know, I'm still getting emotional about that. But it, it, it is something that I experienced and it touched me, that I messed up. But even though I messed up, and they had the perfect right to, to, to reprimand me. They just told me that they, they loved me and they're glad that I was safe. And those are the words that we all want to hear, right? When we mess up, when we fail and we fall down, we don't want to hear that we messed up because we kind of know. But when we hear words that I love you, I care for you, that means a lot more. And that's the kind of God that we have. That God does the same thing. is that he knows we mess up. He actually knows more than other people how much we mess up. But he unconditionally loves us. And he does that the same here with Abraham. Because in the scripture here, he tells him, go go do, kill the sacrifice, the, the animals. But he doesn't ask Abraham to walk through between those, those split animals. Because in that day, those who were making the covenant a promise to each other, they would sacredly hold each other accountable by walking through the animals that have been sacrificed. Because as I said, it's a symbol, a symbolism. If they ever broke that covenant or broke the promise, then let it be they themselves be split in half, just like those, those animals. But if you look at the scripture here, the scripture says that a smoking pot and a, and a blazing torch, a fire, goes through between the animals. And those are representative of God himself. Those are symbols that are known as being God. The smoking pot is, is, uh, is representative of the Holy Spirit. And the blazing torch is a representative of God. And so God the Father and the Holy Spirit are walking between the animals that have been split. Now, I want you to pause and think. If there's God the Father and this torch walking between, there's somebody else that's not, that's not there walking through. 
And we'll get back to that. And so what God is saying here in these scripture verses, I, your God, will take full responsibility of this covenant. That it cannot fail because God does not break his promises. He doesn't make Abraham go through the, between the split animals. He goes, God goes on his own. And that's what we call an unconditional blood covenant by God. That it's impossible to fail. And that was proof to Abraham that God will give him the land. And so when we trust in God and we know that he, he unconditionally loves us, there's kind of a natural outcome of that. When we have people around us that we trust, when we have people that, that unconditionally love us, it gives us security. We are secure in that knowledge that we are in a safe place, in a safe relationship. When you have people that you can trust and when you have, have um, uh, unconditional love. And so when God makes promises, he is expressing unconditional love and he's expressing uh, the, that you can trust him, then you will be secure. And I see this in verse 18. Where on that day, in verse 18, it says, On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river of the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, Kiznesites, Cadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Raphites, Amorites, Canaanites, Gergesites, and Jebusites. Now there's a long list of ten people groups. The number ten in, in biblical times, it means completeness. So there's just these 10, 10 groups, and it represents completeness. So that's a whole land of the Canaan. Canaan, Canaan is going to be given to, to, to Abraham. And, and God says he's making a covenant. But he's giving, the, giving Abraham land. Now, in many cultures, land is representative of security, right? He's essentially telling, this land is yours. You can now lay roots there. You don't have to be nomadic anymore. You don't have to be a wanderer. The land is security. I mean, a lot of us, a lot of us come from cultures where owning land is very important. It's a major possession. I mean, immigrant families save their pennies, dollars, uh, to to own a property because property, land, represents security. And here, the scripture says that God gives Abraham security by saying, this is your land. And that's that, that concept, that idea of security is something that, that all human beings need, right? Um, uh, you know, psychological tests say people are stressed out if they're, they have no security. And if you, in one way, you, you know, some of the lab tests were like you have lab rats or something like that, and you're constantly blaring uh, music to them and it, they don't get any uh, they have bright light shined on them and that's typical interrogation me- methods. If you have that kind of environment around you, it's chaotic, turbulent it doesn't have any it's not safe and secure that, that you can psychologically break down living creatures that way humans included. So security is, is an important need that many of us have and one of the things that, that that, uh, that helps promote 
or build security is the ability um, to belong, right? We all want to belong, to have the security of having a group uh, want us, a family. Now, every month there's always some sort of uh, awareness thing, uh, uh, issue, and I didn't, I wasn't aware, but I was doing the research. November is Adoption Awareness Month. And adoption is something that uh, I have a privilege as a pastor at a church to walk through many uh, of our families here who have gone through adoption. And, and, and that's one of the you know, greatest um, uh, things a family can do is to adopt a child who is unwanted. And there are still many children that are unwanted. And, and, and to adopt a child is something that you can bless uh, uh, a, a little child who, who, who's been given away or is unwanted. And, and so this is National Adoption Month, and, and the whole issue with adopted children is because they go through issues is that many of them have been abandoned. They don't feel secure, that oftentimes uh, they almost have this kind of traumatized that someone left them. And, and, and they go through issues of, of, of attachment issues of when they're in a room, uh, by, they just don't want to be in a room by themselves or left alone because then they feel like they've been, been abandoned again. And, and one of the uh, great things that most adoptions are pretty, pretty successful, but I didn't realize that there are some cases where children, and which is horrific, are actually uh, returned. And I think some of them have hit the news where parents have, uh, adoptive parents have decided they don't want the kid anymore and they, 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 they turn them back in. And, and for me, that, that must be one of the most traumatizing, painful thing for, for a child to do. But it happens. And so I want us to look, actually look at a video that, that I found. And I guess it's for National Adoption Month. But it's the case of Seth Miller, who who was adopted as a child, and then his adoptive parents decided they didn't want him anymore. And so he was returned back to the foster, to the foster homes, and he went through most of his teenage years as, uh, as an unwanted child going through, through um, uh, foster homes. And so we're going to look at it, his story now, which has a, a redemptive end. This young man was all alone in the world and angry. Empty, alone, nowhere to kind of fit in, you know, just an everyday kind of life, nothing, you know, real extraordinary, nothing, you know, to look forward to. After being put up for adoption as a toddler, followed by a hurtful failed adoption in childhood, Seth Miller spent the next decade in and out of unhappy foster homes. At 18, he aged out of the system and ended up homeless, living in a car. Woke up the next morning, I was, was kind of like this, you know. Was... He wished for one thing. One family. Even if I had to live in a box. Family. A story with News 8 resulted in an unexpected turn of events. An emotional meeting with a biological sister, Cheyenne Hunt, and her adoptive family. <laughs> 
They soon invited him to join them. We thank you for giving us this time together as a family. At Thanksgiving, he sat with the family for the first time since he was a child. Amen. And he took this family's name to match his new life. His name now is Logan Hunt. It felt strong. It felt um, in place. It felt home. Do you swear or affirm that you will... In October, exactly one year after Logan moved in with the Hunts, he and those who love him gathered in a Collin County courtroom. Logan, this has been a long journey. They stood before the judge and lawyers who've long presided over Logan's misery. I'm asking you. Finally make Mars. The bailiff shot this cell phone video as the Hunts asked Logan to make them his forever family. Well, from the first time I saw the interview, I knew he was a part of our family. We're just doing this to make it legal. These serves. And I'm proud of him. At the age of 19, the boy who never gave up achieved his deepest yearning. To belong. <laughs> Paul Hunt, you are now adopted. I'm now the kid who, who can say that he has that now and uh, is gonna can make sure that he he takes good care of it and loves it every day. So, in that video, you see a young man, and, and his deepest yearning was to, to belong. And he expressed something that all of us want to, want to, to have, is to just belong. And, you know, God is a loving God. He loves us all unconditionally. And he has an open invitation to all of us to belong to his family. And, and that covenant that he made with, with uh, Abraham many, many years ago, God said, you will be a blessing, a blessing to all nations, to all people. And in some ways, that's an amazing covenant. It's an amazing promise. But God, as we saw in Genesis 15, says, it's not on you. It's on me, your Lord. He's going to be responsible to making that promise come true. And, and when I said, you know, when where there was the split animals and there is God the Father in the smoking pot and the fire torch representing God the fire as the fire torch the smoking pot as the Holy Spirit walking through between the two animals there's one part that's missing and that's God's son Jesus Jesus is represented there he is the sacrificed animal the lamb of God is the one who split was split and poured his blood so that the blood covenant could be fulfilled and that's what Jesus did on a cross for us, to die so that we would have that blessing that God promised Abraham many, many years ago and comes to fruition in the new covenant that Jesus says is in my blood. In Mark 14, verse 23 to 24, something that we celebrate monthly is communion of what Jesus did on a cross. And at that evening when he was having his intimate meal with his disciples before the night he was betrayed, he said this when he was having a meal with them. He took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said, this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. Jesus fulfilled. He, 
guarantees God's covenant through his death on the cross. God's amazing covenant, the realization of that, to understand and truly know it, should free us, should free our lives so that we can do what God planned for us. And what did God plan for us to do just as he had called Abraham? It is to be a blessing to others. But unfortunately, a lot of times we are anxious. We are fearful. We are worrisome. We are self-centered. But God tells us to trust him, that you have my unconditional love, and you are secure through my promises. And with that knowledge, it should free us. It should encourage us to risk more, to do more, to sacrifice more, to be a blessing to others. And sometimes it does mean, not just figuratively, but sometimes literally, to die to be able to bless others. But of having a true understanding of what God's covenant is to us should free us from even the fear of death. So as I close this this time, my question is to you, um, how do you trust God? How do you see the promises he's made in your lives? And has he been faithful? And are you transformed from that faithfulness to be able to do what God has called us to be? And that is to be a blessing to others. So let's pray. Father God, if we all could uh, grasp how much you love us, especially the experience of being unconditionally loved, that you would give it all for us, and you did through the sacrifice of your son, your one and only son, Jesus, who had to pour out his blood so that your covenant could never, ever be broken. We are thankful for that. And I pray that you will continue to give us revelation and um, inspiration as to what that truly means in all of our lives. Because through that process of, of understanding that, we will be transformed so that we can then do what you want us to do in this world and be a blessing to others. Because... Being a blessing to others is not an easy thing to do. It literally sometimes means dying. But we have no fear because the greatest gift you have given to us is eternal life and being in your family forever and ever and ever. So we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.